With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. You're with Hervoye Morich on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. It's round two. We have coming up based lit analyzer. Do check out, subscribe to his YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash based lit analyzer. Uh, and uh, don't forget, uh, check out some TNT radio merch. Get your, you know, if you see it, my, I got my TNT radio mug, right? Jumbo mug uh, right here with some hot tea uh, and uh, a coaster as well. Check, check it out. I got the coaster too. Yeah. And the mouse mouse pad, right? I can't show you that as well. Uh, what's happening in the world? The man who destroyed the satanic shrine in Iowa capital, charged with hate crime, objecting to satanic displays in public, is now hateful. So Michael Cassidy, Christian veteran, who decapitated the satanic shrine, has been, has been charged with a hate crime. But all over the country, they're decapitating statues of Tom, Tommy Jefferson. Right behind me, I got a poster of Thomas, um, was it Columbus, Christopher Columbus, and 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 others. So we can do that, and that that's not a hate crime. But uh, we can, we cannot, you know. I mean, it's just insane. You you cannot take down a statue of Satan, literally. <laughs> that just says it all. See, that tells you really who runs everything that's my thing with, with uh, all these people today talking about it's this group or that group that runs the world it's the devil why don't you when people tell me why don't you talk about the jews it was like well why don't you talk about satan and lucifer you know it's that's that's the prince of the power of the air not you know whatever um these different uh groups so uh, anyways, what else we got going on a little bit of good news i've been talking about clay higgins and how he's been coming after the head of the DHS, Mallorca's late night vote advances Mallorca's impeachment articles to House floor. All 18 Republican matter, uh, members of the House Committee on Homeland Security voted um, on January 31st after more than 14 hours of impassioned de debate to refer to articles of impeachment against Alejandro Mallorca's to the full House for a final vote as the panel's 15 Dems unanimously opposed the measure. So let's see what happens there. Uh, and there's then this report from a week ago that I just caught. UN budgets millions for US-bound migrants in 2024, where basically the UN is essentially a co-smuggler with the car Mexican cartel smugglers. The UN is a co-smuggler. Um, because you know they're handing out debit un debit cards and cash vouchers to aspiring illegal border crossers on their way um north and now there's this un 2024 update to the regional refugee and migrant response plan a planning and budget document for handing out nearly 1.6 billion dollars in 17 latin american countries and it says can cast a broad confirming light on the cash giveaways and much more aid for 2024 ahead and so these documents clear up any mystery about what the UN and NGOs are doing on the migrant trails and leave no room for supposedly de debunking fact checks so basically 
it's right out in the open now that the UN is financing this illegal, um, you know, illegal migration. So, uh, you know, it really says here the the document makes clear in writing that the UN and these partners know their endeavor aids, abets, and makes possible the onward movement of immigrants who intend to illegally cross borders, especially to get into the U.S. That's coming from the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org. Um, a recent podcast, uh, there was a recent podcast discussing having a chat with a Florida real estate agent, and he revealed um, how Blackstone was buying up residential homes. And this is part of that theme of neo-feudalism, the Great Reset neo-feudalism that I'm often talking about. And uh, he was explaining how basically Blackstone will come and they already have, they have a system where they found renters uh, ready to go. And the renter says, I want that house. If you buy that house, I will rent it. And Blackstone buys the house and rents it out and they just keep doing that and over and over again until they you know they're buying up all the homes um to rent only not not for sale to own uh, and that's part of that whole you know you you you're going to you're not going to own anything right you and that's part of that trend we're seeing everywhere they're pricing people out middle class out of owning a home uh so that you'll you'll be forced to rent and speaking of you know, Blackstone, BlackRock report here that Ukrainian reconstruction bank set up by BlackRock and JP Morgan Chase, a key purpose underlying the Ukraine war was made clear at the annual meeting in Davos when Philip Hildebrand, vice chairman of BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager, announced the start of a much touted Ukrainian reconstruction bank in five to six months. The reconstruction bank is being put together by guess who? BlackRock and JP Morgan Chase for the Ukrainian government. Many of its initiatives will be overseen by Penny Pritzker, a banking heiress from a family with CIA and mafia connections and a history of white collar crime. Uh, and um, we've got from mishtalk.com a report that companies turn to AI because real intelligence is hard to find. UPS announced it will use AI to reduce office workers it joins Google, Amazon, and others in the shift. Mish says, if only we could do the same for government. So Skynet is becoming self-aware uh, and a little bit of geopolitical news here. Uh, apparently China is going to, is recognizing the Taliban government in Afghanistan, which I guess is kind of a big deal. The Taliban spokesperson says China has understood what the rest of the world has not. We are not in a unipolar world um, and says that China may be getting ready to break ranks and take the final technical step either within the UN system or outside of it through a bilateral uh, initiative, I guess, in terms of recognizing them. So uh, tectonic shifts here in geopolitics. And of course, shipping faces lengthy disruptions as the Middle East fallout worsens. Uh, all right. A quick reminder that um if you enjoy listening to tnt and think we're doing a good job do let us know leave a positive review or comment on facebook gap getter you can submit a review on the website at the top tntradio.live or uh, it's a big help for tnt if you go to the apple podcast or spotify and, and rate uh tnt radio help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's news talk 
Your voice heard here. The government needs to step up and do its job. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. A massive $56 billion pay package granted by Tesla to Elon Musk in 2018 has been nullified by a Delaware judge who ruled that the company's board of directors failed to prove the compensation plan was fair. Here with the story, joining me once again, TNT News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. Thanks, Barry. I don't know, $56 billion to the world's richest person? Why not? That sounds plenty fair to me. No. Uh, Chancery Court Judge Kathleen McCormick voided the payment package to Mr. Musk on January 30th as part of a lawsuit which was filed by Richard Tornetta, a shareholder in the electric vehicle maker, five years ago. Under the package offered by Tesla, Mr. Musk had the chance to secure 12 tranches of Tesla stock options, which would vest if Tesla achieved various market capitalization and operational milestones, such as a $50 billion increase in its market capitalization or market cap. Uh, Mr. Tornetta had argued the multi-billion dollar pay package that Tesla granted Mr. Musk reportedly the largest compensation plan in public corporate history should be nullified because it was overly excessive yeah okay uh, additionally the shareholder claimed that the key milestones that mr musk had to achieve in order to receive the pay package which were described in proxy disclosures as very difficult to achieve were in fact widely expected to be achieved, meaning Mr. Musk would likely qualify for large portions of the pay package. The lawsuit further argued that a proxy statement issued by Tesla wrongly characterized the board's compensation committee and the board as, quote, independent when they were not, end quote, and claimed that Mr. Musk himself came up with the compensation plan. Judge McCormick agreed, writing in the 200-page ruling that the company's board of directors failed to prove, quote, that the compensation plan was fair, end quote, or show any evidence that they, quote, ever discussed or negotiated, end quote, the compensation package with the businessman. The judge wrote, quote, in the final analysis, Musk launched a self-driving process. <laughs> recalibrating the speed and direction along the way as he saw fit. The price, the process arrived at an unfair price. End quote. What is with these people? Even the judges got to do this tongue-in-cheeky kind of stuff? Anyway, uh, she says the process leading to the approval of Mr. Musk's compensation plan was also deeply flawed. Uh, quoting from the judge here, quote, in addition to his 21.9% equity stake, Musk was the paradigmatic superstar CEO who held some of the most influential corporation, corporate positions, CEO, chair, and founder, enjoyed thick ties with the directors tasked with negotiating on behalf of Tesla and dominated the process that led the board to let, that led to board approval of his compensation plan. At least as to this transaction, Musk controlled Tesla, end quote. Concluding her ruling, Judge McCormick ordered Mr. Tornetta to work with Mr. Musk's legal team on an order implementing her decision and submit a joint letter identifying all issues, including fees, that needs to be addressed to bring the matter to a conclusion at the trial 
level. Um, in the wake of the news on Tuesday, Tesla's share price slid about three percent in after hours trading. Uh, and then, of course, in true Musk plat- uh, fashion, he took to his X platform to respond to the ruling on Tuesday, saying, "Quote: Never incorporate your company in the state of Delaware." End quote. Yeah. There you go. Uh, he also put out a separate post, apparently asking uh, in a poll asking of X users, quote, should Tesla change its state of incorporation to Texas, home of its physical headquarters? End quote. So, yeah, there we go. What do you think about this one? Harari? I'm curious. Mixed um, feelings, but, um, you know, I, I am very suspicious of Elon Musk. But again, um, a lot of people on alt media, I think we have to be careful you know we i i can't make a final opinion on musk because again we don't know what his daily life is like and and you know other stuff that we we can't get inside his head and and um you know the deals that he has behind um the curtain but um we do have to admit it's a tough one no he is building out the american wechat but um anyways i i think it is kind of absurd that 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 the judge can overrule um the board of the company that just doesn't sound right uh at all it doesn't bode well it sets a terrible precedent um regardless of of what people think i mean isn't that the board's job the company's job and so imagine where they can go with that in in the future and so yeah, I, I do think, you know, monopolies do need to be broken up. I'm a big fan of antitrust when you look at American history. But um, I don't know. I, I think the judge is is uh, off on this one. What, what do you think? Uh, it's I guess it's state by state. So it, it's not every state that does this kind of thing. There are states that allow the um, the shareholders decisions to stick. But I mean, if it if it is indeed as a uh, tornado is, you know, laying it out and the judge agreeing well, she spent 200 pages worth of a judgment not all of it was tongue-in-cheeky i'm sure most of it was serious but um yeah if 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 you're being as at the at the head of the company if you're you're unfairly influencing the decision of the board then that is technically unfair to the shareholders and so maybe there is a there there but i mean no matter how you look at it i mean i don't care who you are or what you know about the situation does elon musk really deserve the 56 billion dollars coming out of tesla i mean i was just hearing a story earlier today uh from a uh expert guest on one of the programs right here on today's news talk uh who pointed out the fact that tesla is the world's largest um spying operation on the planet they collect more data than anything on the planet just these little tesla cars driving around because they have these cameras and stuff so yeah i'm not gonna feel too bad for elon musk and i'm sure he still makes money this isn't gonna hurt him or glory well he's his net worth would diminish uh i mean are you sitting down for this one it would diminish to a measly 154.3 billion dollars positioning him as only the world's third wealthiest individual but that's crazy about the tesla cars when in terms you know i'm guessing you know obviously in terms of surveillance for the driver uh, and all that but are you saying also like cameras you know facing outside of the vehicle yep absolutely yeah yeah crazy huh 
I mean, even if we go on Google Earth these days, I can like you can go anywhere now and in one minute I can go visit all the places that I've been even out in the Gobi Desert. I can find like my I mean, if, if we can do that with open source Google Earth, imagine <laughs> what the powers that be uh, can do. All right. Fun times, uh, Ruckus. We got Bayes Lit Analyzer joining us to talk art, culture, globalism and what not uh, have a wonderful evening ruckus we'll be right back tnt's mark morano this just in we have a new way that's proven effective in dealing with climate protesters who deign to block highways streets and other public areas yes ladies and gentlemen this appears to be the most effective way we have a uh, we have a field shot a correspondent on the scene let's go to clip four and take a look at how to deal with climate protesters when they block your way on your morning commute. I don't want to see protests shut down, but obviously when you're blocking traffic and you're doing that, you need to be dealt with. I thought this was a great vigilante way of dealing with it. Mark Morano on today's News Talk TNT. A better business tip from TNT Radio. The benefits of advertising on today's news talk, TNT Radio, should be clear to businesses of any shape or size. It can be accessed anywhere, anytime, by anybody, and is the perfect way to build brand awareness and stimulate digital activity. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. It sounds pretty good. It's it sounds like, real it's dude. Not bad, huh? This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Returning to the broadcast, it's been a while, is Bayes Lit Analyzer. I think on, on my show we last spoke, as, as you pointed out, September, when I was in a hotel room in Texas uh, attending the Ron Paul Institute uh, conference. And uh, he's considered one of the most preeminent analysts of literature you will find creating fresh and inspired content on YouTube, youtube.com slash based lit analyzer uh what's happening at bla hello sir how you doing there good to see you good to see you again not much happening uh well there's a lot happening and then not much happening i guess (laughs) that's the standard response and you know i caught uh last week i was checking out the boiler room uh every i think every thursday you were there with jay Jay dyer so i was uh watching Mm -hmm. that and i was checking out your latest stream uh and I, i caught you mentioned you mentioned mike Patton, right yeah yeah yeah, of yeah. faith, faith no more, and um, that brought back a memory for me. Twenty years ago in Chicago, so I, I, I was kind of because you know you focus a lot on movies, but when I was young, I was idolizing music a lot. You know, I like movies and TV, but I was just obsessed with music. I went to so many concerts and obscure musicians, and Mike Mike Patton's kind of weird, right? Faith no more, but then he's got all these different projects, and I went to a concert of I don't know if it was Mr. Bungle or some other. Mm or the band that he had with the guy from the Melvins. I can't remember, but he was in the foyer uh, and I was just like walking past him. But at that young age, I was just kind of like, what am I going to say to Mike Patton? You know, he was he was right there and I just went up to my seat. Uh, but anyways, you see your thoughts on Mike Patton and, and Faith No More. Yeah. Yeah. I love uh, love Faith No More. I love Mike Patton. And, and you know, when I was younger, I mean, music is still my life. I love books. 
I try to focus on books and then, you know, movies, try to focus on movies that are based in literature, but, um, for the channel, but book books, movies, and music are my life. And I first, I mean, I remember the very first time I saw faith no more. I was at my friend Brad's house. I was spending the night. It was like 1988 and we were watching, uh, we were watching MTV and of course faith no more came on and it was, it was epic. It was the song, you know, it was epic. And then the real thing. And then, uh, I got, and the Easter Bunny left me the the album Angel Dust uh, when I was like 12 years old, and I've I've always loved Faith No More. It's interesting because Mike Patton, you know, he did the uh, score for the movie um, The Place Beyond the Pines that I discovered. It's a Ryan Gosling, Derek Sion France movie, and um, he's one of these guys that that people whenever you say his name or you mention Faith No More, like I've never met anybody that doesn't have a like a glint in their eye when they talk about faith. It's very weird. Um, and a good, a weird perspective on this is uh, about 10 years ago, I read the autobiography of Anthony Kiedis, uh, scar tissue. And he talks in there about this sort of uh, relationship between Red Hot Chili Peppers and faith no more. And it's, and it's interesting how similar the bands sound um, especially in the like late eighties and early nineties, but then they completely diverge. So uh, yeah, I, I love, I love his music for sure. Yeah, this visceral, so heavy. <laughs> it's and it goes yeah. to all extremes. And um, I think I also read Anthony Kiedis's bio many ages uh, ago. And then something you know you mentioned uh, as well in your latest live stream that I was watching is you know these days unfortunately I don't ha I haven't had the time to watch uh, movies. When I do have some time, uh, I'm, I, I think I'm going to binge. Like I, one of my favorite TV shows was Man in the High Castle. Uh, on Amazon, mm -hmm. just because of the, the yeah. plot line. And I, I've only watched the first three seasons, but I haven't seen the fourth. And it's been years. And so I'm going to have to rewatch the first three to watch the fourth. Um, but uh, something you mentioned is that you you say they don't make movies like this anymore. You mentioned also Children of Men. But yeah. I would tend to agree. I mean, you just they're just rehashing so much junk uh, these days. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I've got a lot of thoughts on this, and and not just because I'm a movie watcher. A lot of times, you know, um, I'll watch movies so that people don't have to. Like you said, we're adults, and a lot of people don't have time to. They've got families, and you don't have time to watch the movies that you did, you know, when you were younger. And um, but this this particular movie, this this uh, Place Beyond the Pines movie that I covered, is one of those movies where I watched it so that people will watch it if they haven't seen it. Um, and I don't really like try to recommend you know movies or any, people have their own tastes, and I just try and go into an, an analysis of the meaning of the movie. But but part of that is because there aren't many movies being made now, in particular. But over the last you know several years, there's just there's just not a lot. And like you said, they recycle themes. They recycle. I mean, that's what. Think about what Disney has done. You know, uh, they, they already had a ready-made palette of movies with all the animated movies that they know they had a fan base. They know they were going to make money, so they just make the movies again, but live action. Um, once they once Hollywood finds a formula, they sort of go with that. I know that uh, I have a friend in the industry, as they say there, and he, you know, he specified that, you know, that the talent and originality are very few and f it's very hard to come by those because m the bottom line is what counts and that you know take for instance like the academy awards a, a lot of people I, I think it's safe to say a lot of people in the academy you know in the academy don't watch the movies that they're voting on they don't have time or they don't even like watching movies because they're making movies all day um that's why people like when you hear about scorsese and tarantino who are cinephiles you know it stands out because they watch a lot of movies 
but it's hard to predict where movies are going to go in the future, but they've, they've got to do something because it's, it's really, it, they're not only recycled and kind of mediocre, but they're getting very uh, bad in a sort of incomprehensible way that, that I can't describe. I think that one of the things is AI, obviously. I know they just had the strike about this, and, um, but it's, it's weird because they introduced this and they had characters, you know, who were had passed away and that who had, they've licensed out their likeness and they've made them, they've reanimated them into movies. And I know that's been a thing, but it goes beyond that. It goes into the script writing and, and, and the screenplays and the, just the general aesthetic of the movies is something inhuman and not purposefully inhuman. Not like, you know, one of the big tropes of the past, um, well, for a long time has been the, oh, I think I'm human, but then I find out I'm a cyborg or I'm a clone theme. And of course, with if that's the case, then form and content allow you to make a movie where things don't seem right. A good example of that is Blade Runner 2049. There's a kind of incongruous thing going on in the in the in the movie where you're not quite sure where you are and who's human, but that's the point of the movie. Um otherwise, you know, it it's seeped into like the average movie, and there's just not a lot of choice. Um I know that a lot of people are tired of the kind of degradation and depravity in movies. Um, that's always been the case. And I'm not sure that's going to, it's just probably going to get worse. Uh, but, but that is acceptable if it's in light of a movie that has a purpose or a, me- a meaning. And we sort of find ourselves in this place where movies are like, you know, just kind of nothing postmodern nothingness, uh, in a sense. And it's, it's really, uh, it's disconcerting, I think. I think something similar has also been happening in the music industry, but what it gives me hope, at least with music is I'm seeing a rise with the, with the independent people who are making amazing music. Like Lex, um, a couple of weeks ago, I was in the, at the greater reset here in Morelia, Mexico. And there was this Ukrainian American musician, Aurelia, just blew my mind. The, you know, the, uh, I've had on the program Koki, who's this uh, musician out in California who who works in the mu- music industry, but he's doing his own stuff. Five times August. Um, you know, many. So, you know, the Defiant. You know, uh, the, the guy, the drummer that got fired from uh, Offspring. They formed their own band. You know, they're doing really good stuff. So hopefully, we see a resurgence like that with with music. Real quick, we're going to jump to our headlines. Turn on the news. News, 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 flash. TNT Radio News. TNT, this is James O'Neill. Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg issued an apology to families on Wednesday in response to criticism from Republican Missouri Senator Josh Hawley regarding the alleged negative impacts of his social media platforms on children. Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov expressed concerns on Wednesday about the potential threat to Russia's national security posed by NATO's Steadfast Defender 2024 exercise. Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio. We're talking to BLA, Base Lit Analyzer. Uh, subscribe to his YouTube, uh, Base Lit Analyzer. And uh, something you were, you were um, talking about, I've been going back as I've been finding time to watch some of these movies more for propaganda purposes, not for um, entertainment. And one of them recently was Songbird. I don't know if you saw that. They came out during COVID-1984, which I, I yeah. viewed as it was deliberate propaganda, I think. Uh, and then I, I saw not long before that Utopia with John Cusack, filmed in 2018, right, and released in 2020. And it's like exactly COVID as we 
lived it. But then looking at Songbird, it was like it, you know, from a propaganda perspective, you can see what they're doing. But like from an arts perspective, it was like it was not fun or entertaining at all. It was just hollow. Uh, there was no depth. And it was just I think it was like more dystopian fear porn. Uh, and then and I haven't seen yet the Obama produced film. Everyone's talking about I'll leave the world behind, which I, I I'm hearing people say the same thing that it is like there's no story. It's boring. But again, it's the propaganda effect of cyber polygon is, is coming. Your, your thoughts on some of that stuff. Yeah, I, I did uh, leave the world behind. I did a, an analysis of that uh, film right the night that it came out. And um, I didn't know what to expect. I knew that Obama was a uh, consultant on the film and on the script. And I'd seen his documentary series about the American factory, which I thought was, was pretty funny, but um, yeah, it, it's not that it's not necessarily that it has no story. It has a story, but again, it's this weird uh, disconnect. It, it's like, you're watching a film. Um, it's, it's like the uncanny Valley effect. You're watching human beings be human beings, but you're like, what are you doing? And the the prop it's completely propagandistic it's um another movie that i think this is going to continue to be a, a theme with movies coming up which is the idea of a you know balk balkanization and a civil war i know alex garland has a big civil war movie coming out um but one of the things in the movie is that the human beings on the one hand the families act so strange in light of huge cataclysmic events like a tanker an oil tanker like washes up on shore and airplane crashes uh there's a there's an obvious um, psyop that occurs with they're dropping leaflets in different languages. And, and then of course there's a scene where um, they hear this like ultra high frequency noise. And I think anybody who's sort of tuned into things at all knows that, well, there's something greater happening in the movie and the ultra high frequency immediately. I thought, okay, this is one of the stages of a, a some sort of attack. And of course, spoiler, um, that's what turns out to be the case. Uh, but it's interesting because Kevin Bacon's character in the movie, um, he's in it. He has a small role in the movie and he plays a prepper who uh, is right about everything. But it's interesting how there's still a disconnect. They go they, they, uh, they go to his house and he says, you know, get off the porch. Nobody's coming inside. This is what's happening. And, and then he explains to them, listen, don't you guys read past page one of the New York Times? Don't you know about the Havana syndrome? I mean, it's 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 interesting about <laughs> He mentions the New York Times uh, as the place where he gets his based information, but he's still right in the sense that he knows what's happening. And um, what I found really, really weird in this movie is that uh, Mahershala Ali's character is a hedge funder who clearly has a kind of a George Soros connection in the movie. He mentions a nameless guy that he works for that's in a, he says the word cabal. And he says um, the scariest thing in, that he figured out is not that, there's a cabal controlling the world, but that in reality, no one's in control. But then at the end of the film, you see that there's uh, some sort of nuke that's gone off and there's a, a, an actual attack on New York City where the elites have escaped. And so you think, well, how could you say no one's in control? And the, the consultant on the movie is the former president of the United States. Doesn't that seem like an obvious that he would obviously approve that to be the case. It's just a very strange movie. Um, and there've been a bunch of these. I think that the best, the biggest example of this that I saw during COVID was the no time to die James Bond film, because the plot was exactly what was happening. Um, there's a, there's a, you know, a pandemic, there's a virus, there's a, the, the solution is a, is a weaponized uh, vaccine. And it was very interesting that, they pulled the movie at the time with the excuse that 
oh no, no one's going to cinemas, you know, even though it's a Bond film, no one's going to cinemas, everything was closed down. And then they, they brought it back a year later or whatever. And it was like, no, this is, did they pull this because this is the thing that's happening? But it doesn't matter because you talk to people about it and they say, no, I don't know what you're talking about. That wasn't in the movie. It's like, well, the bad guy's name in the movie is Lucifer and he's got a weaponized vaccine that destroys the, it's very strange. Um, I think the propaganda elements just to, to summarize are so in our face all the time that it's getting to be commonplace. It's almost a joke. I think it's a dangerous place when it becomes absurd to the point of a joke. Um, but where's Hollywood going to go? Where, where are they going to go with this? You know, what's the, what's the big, the next big thing? Um, off world space world movies. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. And I, I was going to ask you about your thoughts on the civil war film. I think by Alex, um, Garland, but it, it is so in your face, like, and all this stuff takes years, right, to write, to put together pre-production, uh, you know, so it's, and it's just, you know, Songbird, Utopia, um, the Bond movie, I, I haven't watched a James Bond film, now I'm gonna have to go go back and watch it, but um, you, you mentioned AI, and you know, when, when AI started being all the rage, like a year ago, right, all this hype around AI, and we started seeing, you've probably seen some of these short, um, animated animated clips or they were they were almost like between animated and real where they were saying ai was able to make um you know short video clips um i still find that a bit of a stretch but do you think ai would um be able to like a movie could be made by just purely ai well i think it could and it could be written by ai but the difference is whether the people who are programming it and people who are using it for art intend for it to be used in that purpose and whether they can even tell whether we can tell whether it's human or not. And, and the test of this is that when they had the deep, was it deep blue, the first computer, you know, chess player, and then they started and it was playing, you know, the top chess players. And then they started to, one of the tests they used was whether it could write poetry. I remember this in the nineties and it would spit out junk. Um, it, it spits out words. Now in one sense, that's a cut up method, William Burroughs um, way of dis, you know, discussing the postmodern landscape and the sort of fragmentation of, of words and language and how we're all fragmented. But that only works if that's the purpose. Otherwise, if you're trying to make a story and something that people create, see people, God can create, Satan can't create. People are given the power of creation, oftentimes not very well when they're making movies, but they, they create an AI, a computer, can create if it's programmed by a human with an editing process, if it's just streams of words, then there's no, there's no, everybody knows this. There's no feeling. There's no, there's nothing human. There's no visceral heart behind it. Um, and maybe that's the purpose. Maybe that we've had movies that are, have been so full of heart for so long that seem shallow that now there's just a heart taken completely out of it. So I'm not sure. Um, I, I know with Garland, I, I sort of, trust in a way alex garland's vision of these things at least in a in a predictive or a revelatory sense because he's done so many works with i mean he did ex machina he did the the show devs which was like a follow-up a deus deus ex machina follow-up to ex machina in a way one involves like hardware sort of cyborgs the other one involves quantum computing um annihilation was another great film of his that sort of predicts this sort of stuff in a gnostic sense so i like you know, looking where he's looking because I know he's tapped in, he's dialed into technology in, a, in the sort of way that the big time people are, but with a sort of intuitive sense. But um, 
I'm not sure. Uh, sometimes the the lowest, you know, the B movies can give us a sense of what's going to happen in the future. Um, so it's sort of you just have to keep your eyes open and look everywhere. I think, and 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 use discernment when we're watching films because oftentimes it it there's so much garbage. <laughs> there's and maybe that's again maybe that's the point to overload us with um, to terrorize us aesthetically with just junk. Look at sort of postmodern and modern painting um, as an example of that. You know, lack of form, lack of any of truth and beauty. I'm I think sure. in general, just in general, information overload. Uh, you know, the, the, you know, there's that discussion between Orwell and Huxley where I think it's more economic for the elites. Like, no, no, let's not like spend, you know, like spend all this energy trying to ban books or whatever. Oh, it just flooded them, you know, uh, and then they increasingly flood them with junk. Uh, and so where uh, they won't be able to make sense anyways of, of what's true and what's not. And then uh, I recently discovered, you mentioned B-movie, apparently this 1997 film called Second Civil War. I don't know if you've seen the clip for that, but it's yeah. literally like what's happening now, Texas, Second Civil War, uh, migrants and stuff. I'll be playing that clip um, tomorrow. But um, do, do you have any thought whether... So there's that 1997B movie, uh, Second Civil War, take, coming out of Texas, uh, and then you've got, as you mentioned, this this in April, I think April 26th, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, Civil War uh, coming out. Do, do you think this is priming for what they're trying to do um, in the U.S.? You know, a couple of weeks back, I interviewed J. Michael Waller, who worked in the CIA. Uh, he wrote a book now on how the FBI and CIA have become deep state villains and he even he and he he got his military training with the contras uh, in the 80s as a young man which is pretty crazy but he said that we you know it's possible we might see a shootout between uh you know the the, the federal authorities and, and texas national guard uh, do you think any of this is, is is priming possibly predictive programming i think it's uh i think it's priming people but i don't i don't see this happening in the near future i think it's in a way it's sort of to introduce a chaotic state in order to then use that against the people who don't who don't want it and who want peace uh if that makes sense well look at the movie man right look at the movie it's your type of people that make them you know and it's like i think that i think children of men is a pretty good example of this because what happens in children of men is that it shows that it's a more even though it's set in england it's a it's a definitive um, Orwellian uh, sort of brave new world nexus point in the movie. And it shows that there's a globalist world that has taken hold and that there's a revolutionary group, but the revolutionary group is also kind of co-opted a limited hangout. They're willing to sacrifice people just like the other ones are. And that the refugee crisis, they're called the Fugees in the movie uh, is a huge point. Uh, and, and they are portrayed just like they are in, in 1984. Um, but I think that as far as those things actually happening, I mean, we're pretty far from the Hunger Games. I don't think that it, it's impossible for later. I think that's probably the, the purpose for who knows when. Um, but I, I think it's pretty far from now. Uh, and that should give people, I mean, not like people need to listen to me, but if people, it should be hopeful. You know, I don't, nobody wants this. We want peace. But at the same time, people want to um, have a backbone and stand up for the things they believe. But what I think that the elites also want is ultimate stabilization they don't want destabilization if they haven't planned it um and obviously we've seen major instability everywhere over the past few years but in terms of here like with national guardsmen and federal authorities shooting at each other and fema camps and 
you know, all that stuff. I think that I think we're kind of far from that point. Um, I hope at least that's that's my take. People may totally disagree well, with that, but no, I mean, I've been I don't have the answer to that question. I've been asking my I, I asked myself that constantly, like if, if you look on the timeline, do you know, in our lifetime, in terms of the, the power that they have, the technology, the economy, the resources, could they be able to build that out? And kind of, as you say, it's seeming like it would take longer. Um, yeah. You know, it, it just seems I talk to people who work in like um, IT for banks and they say it's going to take a, lo- a longer time to get rid of cash. But then the same, you know, we see glimpses of what they try to do during COVID where you know, maybe tomorrow the governor can just make a diktat, a decree and say only QR codes for payments, you know, only your phone, no more cash. So I feel like they, they could do that. So as you say, it's kind of a relief for us, but Hey, my kids, you guys, you guys are going to live in the, in the hunger games. Have, have fun with uh, that. And, have fun uh, in no. district 12. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But one of my favorites, though, I, li- I like half-life Two, uh city 17, mm-hmm. right? So I, mm-hmm. I kind of use that city 17 from half-life Two. but you know, children of men as well. That was the, uh, if I, if I'm not mistaken, there was, there was the bomb that went off and they, there was a false flag. I think there was a government. Yeah false flag so they have that sort of uh putting that idea out there and the whole sterilization thing and again these recurring themes it's time for our break again everyone go to youtube and subscribe to base lit analyzer any questions are welcome in the chat email uh or hey call in we'll be right back give me a minute with tnt radio's steve malsberg well it's a two-person race on the gop side and recently the talk has been Who's going to be Donald Trump's number two on the ticket? Recently, Donald Trump Jr. weighed in on this on Newsmax TV. You're never going to rule out someone that is, you know, a leading contender. It doesn't mean that's who you go with. I could see other people that would be great. I'd love to see, you know, a J.D. Vance. I'd love to see a Tucker Carlson. I'd love to see, you know, people who are just principally, uh, you know, in alignment as well as like aggressive. I, you, you actually need a fighter. The Republicans in Washington, D.C. are weak. You can have the House, the Senate, and they'll still roll over. Well, he's right about the Republicans being weak and in need of a fighter. But Tucker Carlson? Really? Don, matter. is your dad serious uh, about Tucker Carlson? Are, th- are those rumors serious? I would imagine, you know, listen, that's clearly it would be on the table, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're very friendly. I think they agree on virtually all of these things. They certainly agree on stopping the never-ending wars. Uh, and so, you know, I, I would love to see that happen. And, you know, that, that would certainly be a contender. First, it's not going to happen. Second, it better not happen. That would be a disaster. And I think both Donald Trump Sr. and Jr. know that to be true. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT. When the world's endangered animals need help most, when their lives are at greatest risk, when they would otherwise be lost, the International Fund for Animal Welfare is there, taking action to rescue the animals we love, to protect them and their threatened natural habitats. See how you can help animals and people thrive together at joinifall.org. This is the Hervoy Moritz Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. It's our final segment here with a semi-regular guest on TNT Radio, Bayes Lit Analyzer. Check out his YouTube. Uh, and I noticed, uh, I think one of the ones not too long ago uh, that you touched on was Kubrickon and you know what's funny when I appeared 
so James Corbett asked me to be a guest on the Corbett Report uh, last year, some I think October or something. Uh, and so as, you know, he, he likes my podcast, so he just wanted to uh, introduce more people to it. And then um, I, I think I know that's when I started up my Substack as well, where I sw switched my membership option there. And I couldn't believe it. I got uh, Vivian Kubrick. Vivian Kubrick, the daughter of Stanley. If I'm, if it's not someone, some other Vivian Kubrick, but she became a yeah. paid subscriber to my Substack, and I actually I got her email, and I mean I messaged her, to invite her uh, on, never got a response. Maybe she's busier. She 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 only seems to go on Infowars, but I thought that was uh, pretty uh, wow. But yeah, you know, any any other thoughts on on you know what are some interesting things that you're looking at? I I see you also. I touched on uh, one of your thumbnails. There's Van Damme, and I'm like, is that guy still making movies? Yeah. Well, first of all, shout out to Corbett uh, because I, you know, learned about Corbett and uh, Event 201 through Corbett um, back in back when that happened. So shout out to Corbett, um, a reg, re, old old time regular watcher. Um, so um, yeah, there's a there's. You know, I, I did a Kubrickon um, analysis of Jason Horsley's book, uh, which I would recommend. Um, it's a great analysis of all things Stanley Kubrick, especially aspects of AI, int you know, intelligence. Um, who was Stanley Kubrick? What was he doing? What were his methods? Um, and analyzing some of his films. Um, and I think with Stanley Kubrick, you know, what's interesting is the sort of one of the conclusions we came to. I mean, it's an obvious conclusion, but the 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 inhuman aspects of Kubrick movies are so stark and people often wonder uh, why the dialogue, for instance, is the way that it is. And uh, one of the things that, you know, we gleaned from looking at the book was that uh, it seems to be like as if Kubrick is feeding A.I., uh, and Horsley makes a good case for this in, in his book. Um, but I think that uh, a sort of antidote, you know, uh, or a sort of counterpoint to Kubrick would be a film that I did recently, which is The Conversation. Um, Francis Ford Coppola's The Conversation in, from 1974. And Coppola made a series of films in the 70s with The Godfather, Godfather II, The Conversation, and Apocalypse Now that are, that are so, that are, that are such, they're so well done and they are so human. And they continue to be relevant for now, especially with regards to Apocalypse Now is like a Phoenix program film. Um, the conversation especially deals with the Panopticon and spying NSA. And it's interesting because it has a sequel, basically an enemy of the state, um, the Will Smith movie, where Gene Hackman's character comes out and is the it's the same character almost. Um, but what we see is that a contractor working for uh, big corporations. Um, t there's a there's a mob figure, a kind of mobbish figure in the movie, and government intelligence. Um, the it's an interesting movie because it shows the people that do these things. And Hackman is a great actor in the film because it shows that he has no life. He has no he has nothing. He has no possessions. He says the most important thing to him are his keys, and his entire life is spent knowing that he can't compromise himself even with speaking he rarely speaks in the film because he feels like he's going to be wiretapped and so there's this like this this awful uh sort of oppressive cloud that kind of falls over the film but it's it's true it's a, it's a truthful film and i think with um with kubrick we get different aspects you know of of film and sort of 
what we've become in a kind of post-war, post-World War II landscape. Um, I see successors in these guys with like David Fincher, with Alfonso Cuaron, and and some of the big filmmakers, uh, Denis Villeneuve, the guy who does the Dune films, are kind of successors to these big filmmakers who are making big and great films. But they're 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 few and far between. Um, I think that uh, really, I mean, to get to the world we're in, I think it's so important to read books. It's important to watch films too, but to read is supremely important um, because like you said, the, the book burning and the, even, even the term book burning, because now that's been co-opted for something else, like with, with creeper things in, in Northern Virginia and DC. Um, and I think that it's important to read books and to read the classics because they're certainly going to go away at some point and they're all, you know, as, as things become digitized uh, more and more, I think it's important to own hard copies of books. A great example of that is Heart of Darkness that I just covered, um, Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness, which is like, in my opinion, the greatest novel of the 20th century. It's, it's so amazing. It's like, it's like if, if Elon Musk imagined writing a book that went straight to your neural link, um, this is the book. It's like the language can't even be contained in what this guy Marlowe experiences in the book. And he goes up river and finds this archon God man um, who's, who rules over a sort of like a East India corp black rock sort of, you know, pre black rock uh, colonialism. And it shows just how powerful these people are. And, and also how they are sent out by the corporations but, and by the elite systems, and then they don't like what they do, and then they're ordered uh, termination, but it doesn't do anything to the system in general, is my opinion with that. Yeah, I, I can't recall if I read that as a young man, but you mentioned Dune, and I think that you can probably do a whole um, hour on Dune, but I, um, I think it was a couple years back, uh, when I was on an airplane somewhere and I was watching the Dune movie, it's the, the new ones and they're they're very long. I think there's two, right? Um, and it, it looks very well made and it was very good. So I never got the again, that's been on my to do list to go back and watch Dune. But I, I from, from what I recall, the first one was like they tried to make the movie, but they never did. Uh, and it was like made, made fun of. And what, what real quick, what's the story with like the original? um dune and then your thoughts on the quality of, of of these new ones well david lynch did dune in i think 1984 and that's to me it's horrifying it's it's like body horror um you know nightmare hellscape because i saw it when i was four years old and i still can't get over seeing it it's it's very difficult to watch but the new one there's a new one um and then there's a second one coming out uh this summer and and the new one by denis villeneuve which has timothy chalamet a great cast is amazing because it also has a Kurtzian heart of darkness apocalypse now bad guy character in it played by Stellan Skarsgård and and honestly like I was very wary going into watching this movie I'm not really big into sci-fi sci-fi fantasy books I wasn't really you know all that on the on the film or the lore of the film and I watched it and um, I was totally blown away I mean it's a it's it's world building and and it's it's world building in a in a concrete and really intense way where you believe all the characters and it's relevant to now because of course it has you know people oppressed and it's got big uh big big civil war big globalist war um clash style things going on in it it's got um you know the the chosen hero 
I think that's that's important because, of course, we live in a world where everybody wants a hero. Everybody, everybody's looking for a hero all the time, and they inevitably disappoint every time. I'm a, I, I, for me, uh, Jesus Christ is the hero. All of us have to um, just be with our family and friends and get by the best we can and do the things that we're supposed to do um, in our in our little circles um, and I guess treat other people like we want to be treated, uh, but. In terms of the giant structures, uh, I think that the movie's great. I mean, it's it's really fantastic and it's very dark, but again, it's it's relevatory for now and for what we have gone through and what we're hopefully not soon, but going to go through. Obviously, inevitably, at some point um, in the world, in in world future world history, I suppose. But um, but that can't be it. You know, there can't just be those films. There have to be smaller films. There has there. I mean there's films released all the time but speaking of books like there are hardly any new novels or books of poems um that are that are making a difference and that don't don't just toe the the line you know because of who you know the, the 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 corporations that control them and the messages that they have to put out um it's very very difficult for anybody of substance to do anything you mentioned seeing music um you know with smaller smaller scale music acts i mean that's that's always going to be true. And hopefully that'll always be true. Um, you know, that's, I guess, tying it back to the beginning. That's why people like Mike Patton, because even though they're on Epic records and they're, you know, major label, he's seen as like an underground character. You know, we don't, we don't see him, um, you know, hawking a, a Pfizer vaccine, I guess, you know, on, on, on NBC news at the Super Bowl, uh, which is, which is promising. Um, but again, you know, it seems like our, our human heroes always disappoint us in some way. <laughs> Yeah, you know that that was a a great um, point, and and that point about heroes. You know, I I, I I've been hearing people talk more and more about this. Um, they're all they're all disappointing. I think whether it's Trump pushing Operation Warp Speed, uh, or I I think uh, you know I, I would agree with you. Jesus is the Gandalf, and we're waiting for him to come down uh, over the hill. And our only because I have people ask me this, um, or when I'm interviewed, or when I have guests, and uh, you know, people look, there are some people, I call them the multipolaristas, they're looking to Xi Jinping and, and the multipolar world. And I'm like, no, that's the same system. I'm just reading today, like in, in Russia, they're implementing all the same technocracy, exactly the same that we're <laughs> in, in the West. I'm like, there are no heroes. It's just us. Uh, and we're waiting for um, Jesus. And in the meantime, you know, we got to get together, uh, just like throughout history, all the dissidents, um, uh, we're getting in groups together on farms or, you know, moving through the fields. Uh, so yeah, we, we build our parallel, um, structures. We're down to one minute to, um, midnight, uh, you know, any final thought for us and then let us know where we can find you. Yeah. Final thought, I guess. Um, yeah, just, uh, reach out to your family and friends, you know, even if you got a friend online that you've never met in person, try and make a point and meet that person, whether it's at like a McDonald's in Alabama or wherever, you know, human connection is, is really important and it makes a difference. Um, and, uh, of course they don't want that. So, so try and meet up with those people. You can find me at Bazelit Analyzer on YouTube. Uh, I got a stream going up for members right after this. And, uh, thank you so much, man. Really appreciate you. Uh, and thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Always great. And, and just an example, you know, the, the guest previous hour, Sean Hawkins, he's from Texas. I met him uh, here in Mexico a couple of weeks back. 
and then I had him on uh, digitally. Uh, and yeah, it, it is really good to get to meet some of the people we've we've we're only virtually uh, friends with. And so, yeah, everyone sign up to Baselit Analyzers YouTube. I'm signing off. Steve Malzberg is up next. Be seeing you.